What stories do we tell ourselves? What narratives do we latch onto so that we can cope with the world? And are they helping us or are they holding us back? We're going to talk about that with today's guest, Chris Templeton. Warning, applying these principles may change your life. People will look at you differently. You'll walk straighter, live bolder, and find out who you are. This is the Manlyhood Mancast. Here's your host, Josh Atcher. Gentlemen, welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast. I'm really glad that you guys are here with us. Listen, we've got a crazy initiative going right now because our 10th anniversary of when Manlyhood was born is coming up. And I want to do something really special. I want to double our impact. I want to reach twice the number of men that we're currently reaching before May comes around, before the middle of May when we hit our 10-year anniversary. I, I know that we can do this. But for that to happen, I need you to help spread the word. So what I want you to do is I want you, if you listen to this podcast and there's something good that you get out of it, I want you to share it with three people. Because my guess is if you share it with three, one of them will listen. And that's one more person listening. So if all of you do it, then we doubled our impact. So I'm going to ask that you do that. If you got something out of this episode or any other episode, please share it with a friend. Tell somebody about it. Let's grow and reach more men with the message that, yes, we we are great men, and to be a good man is a good thing, and we can be even better men. Today's interview, guys, is Chris Templeton. He's the founder of Oh, The Stories We Tell, and he asks three questions that helps us to create more meaning in our life, with our family, with our work, and our friends, and even with yourself. And these three questions really help you frame the world and what's happening around you. And so if you want to be a better father, you want to be a better husband, you want to be a better employee, you want to be a better you, this framework that uh, Chris Templeton talks about is really helpful. So without further ado, here's Chris Templeton. Chris, it is great to have you on the Manlyhood Mancast today. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Josh. I, this is a topic that I think does not get nearly the attention that it needs. Don't you agree? I definitely agree. That's why I do what I do. And I'm excited to, to talk with you. I've looked at the work that you're doing with all the stories we tell. And I think that there's a lot of those principles that go very well with what we're trying to communicate to the men that we're working with. So I think that's why this would be a great interview. And Thanks. I think we've got a lot in store. So I think it'll be a good conversation. Me too. I'm looking so why don't you, to it. why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and the work you do, Chris? I guess the quick background is raised by a very narcissistic dad. Had, had, we thought it was the ideal upbringing. Sat with my brother and my sister last night and talked about all the parts that we didn't realize weren't quite so idealistic. And a dad that screwed around, lied, that sort of thing. And the fallout from that. And so I've always been super interested in why people behave the way they do. And 19 years ago, my stepmother 
as she loved to call herself my evil stepmother, wow. said, you should read a book called The Power of Now. And it's a kind of a spiritual book and by a guy named Eckhart Tolle. And it really hit me because one of the things they, that he talks about very early is we are always telling ourselves, narrating what's going on around us. And when you start to recognize that so much of the way that we color our world is based on what we're telling ourselves about what we think is going on, boy, oh boy, that can be really good or really crappy. And we're wired in a way that has us feeling crappy and a lot of the time, struggling, not knowing quite what's what. And it turns out that over the last 19 years, I've just been putzing around with coming up with three questions. What's the story I'm telling? Is it serving me in this moment? Is it serving me? And is there a more authentic story I can tell? And so uh, that has turned into a resulting model that just explains so much, but it's really simple. And all of a sudden I start to recognize, oh my God, I'm in little me mode. That's not serving me. How can I get back to an authentic place? And so one of the things that I really admire on your website is you say something along the lines of, I can't tell you what manlyhood, man, manliness is going to be for you, but you are all about the journey. And so it's the same for me. Like I want people to recognize that there are some tools that are available to them to have much greater self-awareness much greater than self-leadership, which we never talk about. And then if, I've, if I'm really nailing it in my self-leadership and my self-awareness, guess what? I'm starting to really nail it in life. And I imagine if you look at kind of your journey from the time your wife said, dude, this is not working, right, to now, that is something that nobody's going to have your exact journey, but knowing that you've got these tools available to you, I, it's been a game changer for me, Josh. I would not be the man that I am without this practice of these questions and teaching it to my kids and my wife, which is very simple to do, but because it's so easy, but man, has it changed everything. So walk me through this, because I, I think that there's something that happens when we lie to ourselves, and I know that I have experienced that many times over, um, and have started working through a lot of that process. But maybe a lot of people don't realize that they're lying to themselves. So maybe let's maybe do you have some examples or some real world applications we can to help us understand that? What does that look like? Yeah, I, first of all, I don't typically look at it as lying to myself. I think we're deceiving ourselves a lot. And what happens is, think about it. What are you in your late 30s, early 40s? Yeah, I am in my mid 40s, but I look younger than I am because the fat pushes out the wrinkles. And see, that's the same for me. My belly looks really good. So think about as you were growing up, and it was more, I think it was more uh, prevalent for my generation. I'm 61 now. And you know, what it meant to be a man was you did this, you did that, and that's just the way it is. And I think what happens is when we start to try to live that way, the way society thinks we should or that sort of thing, we lose our who we are authentically. 
And I think that being a man, there's all kinds of things that are, in general, different for men versus women. But when I start to recognize the places where I'm feeling discomfort in how I'm behaving or what, how I'm viewing the world around me, and then I have, so often people are like, oh, I saw that and that just pissed me off and that's that. That's where it stops. Instead of saying, that's where the value of these three questions come in. What's the story I'm telling about what's going on? When we're deceiving ourselves, what we're doing is we have a tendency to be in this place where we're victimized, we're fearful about what we're seeing, and so much of how we narrate what's going on around us and within us is from that fear-based place. I'm a victim, I don't wanna deal with what you think I should be doing and those sort of things. But when you are able to take a step back and say, hey, what's the story I'm telling? Like right there, that gives me the ability without dialing in and all the emotional baggage to say, oh, wait a minute, what is the story I'm telling? And with story, then it's editable. Oh my God, I could edit this story about what I'm saying. And so then you have this ability to say, okay, what is the story? And then secondarily, is it serving me? Does it serve me to be getting all cranky with my kids because they're being kids? Think about how many times as parents, don't you have a couple of kids? Four. Yep. Four. Yep. And so three of them are grown. So yeah, I, I'm there, man. But think about the number of times that you've done things. You're like, oh God, that was awful. Like once I was really upset with my little boy, we were pa packing to go camping and he's bugging his little sister. And man, I grabbed that kid, sensitive guy. He was a sensitive guy, grabbed him by the arm. And he's tiptoeing. To, into the bathtub, that was our place for discipline. You go into the bathtub, you stay there, and, and you think about what you did kind of thing. So we get in the car about five minutes later, and I, this kid is broken. Like, he is on the edge of tears. We get 75 yards down the street, and I'm like, oh, God dang it, look what I just did. And it still is tough for me. Pull over the car. Now, Now, here's the thing. What most men in my generation would have done is you need to figure it out and that is that. Okay, great. How does that serve me? How does that serve you as the child? Instead, I just got out of the car. I went over. I got him out of the car and I gave him a really big hug and I apologized and said, I'm so sorry. And we still talk about it to this day. I don't think he remembers much of it. When you start to get out of that place where you're deceiving yourself into thinking that being this kind of societal definition of what it meant to be a man is, and you take a step back and go, oh my God, this isn't good for me. This isn't, I feel like garbage. My little boy is in tears because dad just roughed him up in a way that he never thought dad could do. And it wasn't because I was a pansy. Just So when you start to look at things that way, and you start, then, then what's the authentic story? Like one of the biggest things that this is about is cleaning up garbage from the past. Like I know that as much as I can still get choked up about how that went down, I also know that I've cleaned it up and I've cleaned it up with him. Dude, I am so sorry that I behaved that way. I was in the moment, it wasn't right, and I got taken away. Think about how that changes 
that boy's, my boy's perspective going forward. Oh, man, in my day, you were a man and that was that. You didn't apologize. You didn't tell, you never. And look at where that got us. I think about that a lot because now that my sons are grown, my oldest daughter's grown, I've got one grandbaby, another grandbaby on the way. And my relationship has changed. I've got one left at home. She's 17. But my relationship with those older ones especially has changed quite a bit. And I'm frequently looking back and starting to recognize, okay, first of all, a house has to have order. A house has to have discipline. You just have to have that. But there were so many times when I would get it wrong. Like, I would, the, maybe the story that I would tell myself is, I'm the dad, you need to respect me. Absolutely. Oh. And what, they'd ask me why, and I'd say, I'm dad, that's why. And I look back and I'm like, was it wrong? Technically, no. There's a degree of that has to happen. There's a degree of authority and submission that has to happen, but I was a jerk about it. And so I've started when those conversations come up and when I recognize them, sometimes with tears in my eyes saying, look, I'm sorry that I was hard on you about this. I was wrong, man. And I didn't even see it until now I'm looking back with regret. And I'm like, man, if I could have if I could have had these regrets now, I wish I could have had them back then before the thing happened. See, here's the thing that I think is so important about what you're saying is, yeah, of course, we'd all like to get it right. That is not the way life works, especially when we're younger. Like we buy into that kind of stuff. And yet what's so much more important for your kids and for you is being able to revisit that stuff and say, holy crap, I was doing the best I knew how, and it wasn't, and looking back, I wish it had been better. I apologize, and I want you to know, I just hope you're a better version than I was, but just know that I'm trying to make it right as I go. And when you give yourself that freedom, this in the 50s and the 60s, with a father that would just, in general, would almost never have happened, right? What do you mean? Don't, we don't question my authority. And on we go. And there's the kid who's, oh man, I don't get it. Why, why do you get to behave that way? And you're right. Like the masculinity and the order and the father is all important. But it's a question of if I'm doing it from a place that's authentic, I have the ability to say, here's why you need to do it the way that I said. And if you have different opinion, share it with me and maybe I'll go with your opinion and maybe I won't, but let's have a conversation. Think about how much more engaged your child is with you. Think about how many people have grown up with fathers that they are afraid of. It's just no good. It's <laughs> but if that was the case and you had the ability to clean it up and apologize for it and own your crap. That's really huge. It doesn't matter how old your kid is, whether he's 30, 50, or <laughs> 10. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing in any relationship or even in my own, the stuff that I do in my own, man. That's yeah. what happens. I can see. That's why I think I was attracted to the work that you're doing, Chris, because I can see it in my life over and over again. Like, you've tapped into something that makes perfect sense and I think that's why it's working, you know? Yeah. And the beauty of it is when I started stumbling on it, oh my God, I'm, I can't quite get this out of my head. One of my first real commitments was that this had to be super simple. My boy needed to be able to understand it at four or five. And I needed to be able to use it in a leadership position as the owner of my company with my employees and, and subs. 
Like when I start to recognize that I have such control over how I perceive what's going on in my head and the world around me, and I start to get curious about what's going on using those three questions, what's the more authentic story I can tell? Right there, man, that moves us from this is the way it is to curiosity. Dude, what is going on with you? Why are you misbehaving? How come you have been to work six, late six times in a row instead of the old manager style? Well, you've been late six times in a row, and that's unacceptable, period. Oh, great. Okay, how does that help? Yeah, and then you got to fire the guy, and then you have, it takes, what, six months to find a replacement? <laughs> yeah. and Because nobody about... wants to work, so... <laughs> and, and think about how we have a uh, a place in, I'm in the Napa Valley, and there's a place called Gotts, and it, it's a burger joint, that sort of thing. And <clears throat> how long have we been hearing about kids these days? They don't want to work. And then you go to Gotts, and you see these young kids clean. Or the other one that I think is a perfect example is in and out Look at how those guys and gals work in that place. It's because they're being managed and led properly and and think about all the old manliness stuff about what it meant to be a manager it's the same thing as the kids isn't it i'm the man i'm the leader you'll do what i say oh great here we go i think my general observation on management and leadership today is that most people end up in a position of leadership because they've got they've been there the long most of them are not in a position of leadership because they know anything about leadership and right. I think that's a crisis, actually. It is. And think about if I could, if one of the things I would love to do is have this become something that's used in business. If I could get all managers and leaders to ask those three questions on a regular basis, what's the story I'm telling about what's going on? Is it serving me or am I, is my story just pissing me off and making me feel like a victim and full of fear? It's what I call little me land. If my story doesn't serve me, I draw a horizontal line, and above that line I say, that's little me land. That's where I'm telling stories that aren't serving me, and nine out of ten times, if they're not serving me, they're not serving my wife, my kids, my employees. And is there a more authentic story I can tell, authentic me land, to get me down below that line so that where I'm operating from is this grounded and centered place where I can hear what other people have to say. I can be curious about why my boy's behaving the way he is or my wife's upset and that sort of thing. It's an absolute game changer from a management standpoint. It, to me, it's foundational. All the, if I could just do that and then begin to teach my people that, because guess what? If I'm down below that line in authentic me land where I'm centered, I'm grounded, I'm asking questions with my employees, with my kids, with my wife, Man, I'm hearing more. I'm getting a much broader and better picture, better story to tell. I'm engaging people in the process instead of, I'm the dad, and that's that. We can have back and forth in conversation. Oh, it is, Josh, it is so powerful in terms of, I look at how kids are raised, and I look at how we raised our two youngest, and they're so blessed from the standpoint that they're fully functioning adults who know how to keep things in perspective, know how to ask that question, am I serving myself, which is really the heart of the matter, really. Everything else falls into place. But yeah, I'd really like this to be big in, in all facets of people's lives and because it's so simple. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can definitely see that. So, I know that the culture that we're in right now, everybody wants to be a victim of something right now. Just look at the political spectrum. You've got one side who is convinced that, you know, that everybody in the government is out to get them. I'm in that camp. (laughs) And then you've got the other side who's convinced that everybody in the government's out to get them, but they're seeing it from the other perspective. But there's no, like, they always view the system as against them. And whether or not the system is against them, I think the viewing that it's against you is probably more important than whether it is or not. Right? Think about that. One of the things I think a lot about is if you take a standard distribution curve in statistics, it's this bell and they say most of the people fall in the middle where the bell is higher and then as you go down that's where you get what i so middle is left center and right Mm -hmm. then far right extreme right far left extreme left and when you think about and the way i define the far left and the far right is when you are to a point because of the stories that you're watching repeating and living that the other side has no value at all, you're far. You're in the you're in the far camp. Like I'm at the place where that if talk about victimization, and this is all above the line. If the other side would just behave the way that I want them to, everything would be all right. Oh God, trust me, it wouldn't. But okay. Yeah. And then the extreme right are the people that are willing to actually go out and hurt people and that sort of thing. But all of that stuff on the tails is all above the line. So they're all behaving the same way. I'm fearful of what your side is gonna do to me. And because of that, I get to behave in ways that are not serving me or anybody else. Think about somebody who's on the far left or the far right. Forget the extreme, because there's not much you can do about that. But think about how much fear how much victimization they are living on a daily basis. My mother-in-law thought that she, when Biden got elected, that she was going to be taken to a re-education camp and socialism was going to be in. And Della, is there anything that you can think of on the left that has value? Nope. Okay. That's not helping you. In the center, you may go above and below that line, but you're, it's like for me, because I'm definitely in the center and a little more to the left, but I see value in, in both sides. And I see the value of when people are in that middle ground, things get done. On the far left and the far no compromise, oh great, how's that been working for us? And, and yeah. so all of that you can put in, the, in this model of mine and say, oh my God, they're, the far left and the far right are in the exact same place in the model. They're just looking at it from two different perspectives. Does that make sense? It does. It's funny because, like, I would think politically I probably, like, someone who is still within the curve but maybe on, on leaning farther left than you would think that I'm extreme when they hear my views. Mm-hmm. But then again, I'm also, I, and maybe it's because that the the edges of that curve have been kicked out so far Absolutely. Right now. I'm like, I'm actually like, I'll share quotes on my profile all the time on mm-hmm. my facebook and social media profile i love quotes because you don't even have to read the whole book you can just read the best quotes from a book and then you've got it yeah. and so i love to do that i love to pull quotes in and so i'll share a quote from barack obama and then i'll get a thousand private messages <laughs> it, read the quote is what he said okay then we can't hear anything that's outside of our 
That's exactly right. And one of the things that I talk a lot about is above the line, we move into what I call proof of truth mode. Now it's up to me to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. And think about how much energy goes into that instead of taking a step back and going, okay, first of all, base question, what's the story I'm telling and is it serving me? Do I feel like a victim and filled with fear that I'm above that line in little me land and that is not serving me. And it doesn't mean, oh, Republicans and Democrats living together in perfect harmony. You know, that's not it either. That's also in, in little me land on the positive side. Everything's going to be great. It's, don't worry, Josh. It's all good. <laughs> Neither of those really serve us, do they? But yeah, when I come true. down and say, gee, what's the value of the two parties working together? And how do we help people to see that value how do I help to do that with my children? And I've done this in politics with my kids forever. Like they know they're never going to walk into a room and hear me say, the Republicans are the worst things ever. Or the Democrats are the worst things ever. I'm going to say, hey, guess what? And that's part of the other thing is how we talk. You look at the media, it's conservatives are doing this or Republicans are doing that and Democrats are doing that. No, it's you need to look at who's in the center who's far left and right, and who's extreme left and right. And then, but we have a tendency to say, those Antifa people, all Democrats are just want to take your life away from you. And in the same, same mode, we view them as an enemy. They may be acting like an enemy at that moment, but the bottom line is, really, do you think Antifa is going to take over the country? In the same, do you really think, now given, Antifa is usually anti-gun and <laughs> You've got all kinds of stuff that's pretty you, icky. But I will say that the bottom line, though, is, and aside from all the politics, the same, as we're talking about it, I can see this in our marriages and our relationships. We get in that always never mindset, and it's all in the blame shifting. And it's, I would have done the dishes if you had put them away, so I had a place to put them. A lot of quid know? pro quo. The thing that's so beautiful about what I've been doing, and I think why I'm as passionate as I am, is it all makes sense. And it puts everything into a nice perspective. So like when I see people on the far left, I have plenty of arguments with my good friends who are on the far left. And <clears throat> when I understand this model, and I understand that people on the far left and the far right are both in places that don't serve them, I can appreciate one of my big things practice-wise is appreciation. Can you appreciate why those people are up there? And I can say they got stories going that don't serve them. They've probably been watching their version of whatever media they watch that reinforces their goals. And, and now they're, just, they're spitting it out. They don't need to think about it. And they just that's just the way it is. And when I start to recognize that, and I can still stay below that line and say, dude, tell me about that. Give me a little more on that and help them to see what they're saying. We're all in a better place. Yeah, and that's the bottom line too is, I don't know, maybe it's one of those lessons my dad taught me is you can learn something from everybody. There was a guy in town that was intellectually disabled that would walk around town and pick up pop cans and he was not that bright was how we all viewed him. But if yep. you spent time talking to him, you'd find out he knew a lot. But you had to be able to listen and not assume you were better than him. And that's another thing that, that I think is really lovely about this model is as you practice it, you 
learn to quit judging people. All judgment, all judgment happens above the line. You, I can't, that's what you think? Oh, that's disgusting, or whatever the case may be. And when we are below that line, we are able to say, oh, he's doing something I doesn't work for me. I'm sure he's got plenty of reasons for being up there. I don't, and so I can appreciate it without condoning it. Or I can appreciate and think about the appreciation that you have for this guy that was intellectually disabled. And when you took the time to find out more, got curious, moves me right below the line, all of a sudden you find all the value that this kid had to offer. Think about it with Down syndrome people. We used to institutionalize them, Josh. In the 60s and 70s, most Down kids went into an institution. Now, they're this lovely, wonderful force for good in all of our lives when we start to take that little bit of time to listen to them. Whereas a man or a woman 30 years ago, what's the point? sad for them. I would never want that to happen to me. And then here we are 38 years later saying, yeah, it was something to work through, but boy, oh boy, is my fan. I know plenty of people who have Down syndrome or kids on the spectrum of autism and they wouldn't change it a bit. Yeah. And that's, I think what it just comes down to is the value of human life, valuing people for who they are, accepting them, even if they're wrong about something. It's I think we're living in this age where we have we think we have to agree with everybody on everything. You think that a healthy marriage is a husband always agreeing with his wife, and I'm like, I joke because it's really not this bad, but I joke with everybody and say we have one good fight a day. Think about how powerful that is. The other day, we're in the process of moving, and the other day, I've got a couple of friends over from second grade, and they come over, and my wife's working on getting stuff done, and she's getting crankier. And I turned around, and my elbow was up, and I clocked her in the side of the head by accident, and that was it. And she's, that's it. I'm, and so what I did is I was like, you know what? You need to knock this shit off right now. This is not serving you. And for, and it came from a good place. <laughs> when you hear the end of the story. So for five minutes, she's really pissed off and I'm keeping my distance. And at some point, for some reason, something shifts in her. And I was like, that was like a reset for you, wasn't it? Because then she came down and she was like, oh yeah, that wasn't serving me. And I don't need to be that cranky up in little me land where I'm a victim of your elbow and your friends and what I have to do moving. And then talk about being a real man, like owning your shit and then saying, you know what, sweetheart, I want this to go smoothly as it can for you and for me. And I'm here for you. And you know what? I know that wasn't the response that you wanted, but it got you to reset, didn't it? And she's like, yeah, it really did. And there's, it's, when we think part of the issue is that we struggle with is how much we are trying to live by somebody else's rules instead of be authentic to who we are. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Lots of little fights are really good. Oh my God, they keep the marriage healthy. They keep the relationship healthy. Can your children talk back to you and say, you know what, dad, are you in little me mode? And is it serving you right now? Woo! If I can handle that and they're in a place where they're doing it that's not awful, is that a bad thing? Yeah, I think we need to be able to let them call us out. At the same time, making sure they know 
that they Without do being it. a dick about it, right? Yeah, yeah, you don't have to be a little crap. You can behave yourself and be respectful. And that's part of it. And the same thing was true in any relationship. I, I know a lot of people that I've worked for over the years who just could not take any questioning or or, or concerns or feedback at all. And it's, that's a frustrating thing. And I've there's times when I can't take feedback, so I get it. <laughs> yes, and here's the beauty of this model is that it recognizes one of the things that I, you will never hear me say is once you learn how to incorporate these three questions and how it, things fit in the model, everything's going to be great, Josh. You're never going to have, you're never going to go above the line. Oh my God. And think about all the positive, think about the opposite of kind of masculine energy and that we portrayed and what we see now. Oh, just be positive. I see leadership garbage on LinkedIn. Just be positive. Just support your employees and everything will be great. What about the times that the employee is toxic, doesn't belong there? How's that going to work for you? We have to understand that we're going to go above the line, hopefully not as far above where we get more and more extreme and that when we do, we recognize it. Oh, shit. There I go again. Hey, honey, I'm sorry about that. I definitely was feeling like a victim and filled with fear and blah, blah, blah. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. When we, so we're always going to go above the line. We're always going to have thoughts that don't serve us. That's life. But there's this part of us that people commonly refer to as the ego or the inner critic or the inner bully, that part that's like the, or the inner parent always telling you that you could do better. And why aren't you doing this or doing that? Those types of things. That is hardwired into us. And so when we recognize that that part of us is always going to look for the problems and find them, and that what I can do is I can listen to that part of my personality, what I call the protector, and hear what the protector has to say, take the meat of it away, and then come back down below that line and say, okay, what's an authentic way to handle this? Whether it's about how my kids behave, my wife's behaving, my employees. When I recognize that that part of me is always, oh shit, there goes Jim again. Oh my God, Billy just, what did he, what was he doing? And my wife, I can't, un that part is always hardwired and that's always above the line. But you, when you practice moving below the line, it doesn't have as much, it's not as loud and you can take it with a grain of salt. Does that make sense? It does. I like that you use the word practice because it is, it's like muscle memory almost to yeah. train yourself to think this way. That's exactly right. It's the biggest thing for me beyond the questions is, look, my, my goal for people more than any of this, no matter what you use for personal development, is make your life practice. Because practice means that you can make mistakes and get better. So in my mind, everything is about practice. Okay, how can I do that better? How can I go back to somebody who I blew it with and make it right in a way that feels authentic to me and that they can hear? Right. So we've learned a lot about your about this process, but maybe let's uh, pull back to that bird's eye view of it again, if we could, just okay. to give a little bit more perspective of it. So, you know, whatever scenario we want to use. So it's start with with catching myself going out of the loop, right? In an so, easy way. Hey, what's the story I'm telling? Yep. Yeah. And 
what happens, what do you do when you are struggling to find what that story is and you're not sure what's wrong? Do you have any solutions for that? Yeah. One of the things, there's a book by a woman named Julia Cameron called The Artist's Way. And I've only read a little bit of it, but it had a profound impact on my life. And what she talks about is, I think she calls them daily pages. And I don't do it all the time. But for me, handwriting, if you can do, if you know how to do cursive, the flowiest way that you can write stuff down, where you're not letter, if you can do it where it's cursive, it just flows. And ask yourself, the other thing that I think is really important is saying, gee, what's the protector's perspective on this? Why is that part of me so wound up right now? And a lot of times it's right for me. I've had plenty of times where I'm like, oh, what's little me say about this? Little me, the protector, basically the same. You're a piece of shit. I can't believe that you're so screwed up, blah, blah, blah. Like letting that, I think of it as letting air out of the balloon. And when you're, you feel it like in your chest or in your belly and you're resistant and you're, I, that's the time. Okay, let's start writing. And write from that perspective, the little protector who's yelling and screaming and I'm a victim and blah, blah, blah. And write it down because what you're doing is you're immediately letting the air out of that balloon. And so what happens is you start to hear yourself more often you start to recognize much more quickly if it's serving me or not. Isn't it fascinating that we don't really don't talk about emotions in this? Because emotions get us stuck. I'm pissed and that's just the way it is. Okay, great, let me know how that works out for you. So writing is a really good way. Thinking about what you're doing and why you're thinking it, asking what is, if this isn't serving me, is there a more authentic story? Because I get curious about, okay, you think about people that are on the far left or the far right on out, man, their story is locked in. It is not changing. And that is that when I'm have the ability to say, gee, is this story serving me? Well, I, I feel like I know what's right. And that's just the way it is. You know that it's not serving you, don't you? And so yeah. it's, guess what, Josh? As you pointed out, it's practice. Give myself the room to blow it. Give myself the room to really screw it up. Give my that little protector the ability to just scream its little head off and be able to listen to it without reacting, which is what we do. And think about it. So much of that protector is how dad treated me or how I was treated in school or the garbage that I watch on TV that has me feeling like a victim. All of that stuff feeds that little guy. And when you start to recognize that, then all of a sudden things get a lot easier. But that little guy's never, ever going with me. In other words, they're always... And that's really important. The reason I call it the protector is because that's why we're here right now doing this. If that little protector hadn't been built into our brains thousands and thousands of years ago, the lions and tigers and bears would have won. <laughs> so there's this fight or flight, fight, flight, or freeze response. That's all that kind of hard wiring that we have and it latches on to things like when things went wrong with dad and dad yelled at me oh guess what now when you have something that's similar to that with your kid that piece of us just takes over you're not allowed to do that and then we and then 
hopefully we have the awareness to say, oh my God, that was not good. And then even more, have the awareness to say, hey, bud, I really blew it. <laughs> Let me own my garbage with you. Yeah. Chris, you've got some fantastic things for us to think about. I've got, I like to ask all my guests a couple of questions. The first one is this. What does it take to be a man? I think it, for me, I think it takes self-awareness. Like really being aware of who I am and that awareness of, am, do I have this sense of resistance in me in any given moment? And being able to take a look and see what that is, even if I don't get it right the first time, or even if I have to come back and revisit it. So when I have that self-awareness of, I'm telling a story that's not serving me, right? Think about how huge that is. Think about how that impacts my children, my wife, my employees, doesn't matter. When I start to recognize things that aren't serving me and then I get curious about it, I practice on, hey, what? I wonder what is going on with my wife? What's going on with me? What are the tapes that I'm telling myself that I should be that aren't serving me, that don't feel good, that don't feel authentic to who I am. Like if you can do that part as a male, female too, frankly, then, you know, all those biological differences can be appreciated, can be dealt with. There's always going to be for the vast majority of families, kind of somebody who's more masculine and somebody who's more feminine. And those energies are really good. The Democrats and the Republicans put those energies together and you can do some really fabulous stuff. And so when I start to recognize that I can change my story, I can be more authentic to myself. And then if you think about that line, here's the line and so many people stuck in little me land and I'm down below that line where I'm authentic, I'm centered, I'm grounded, I'm curious. Guess what happens to those people? Because I'm not up above the line judging them, telling them what's what, they start to naturally come down. The beauty of it is that if I'm a real man who eats quiche, I don't know if you uh, ever heard <laughs> that, but it, in the 70s, yeah, real men don't eat quiche, I get to be so much of a better version of myself. Like when you think about what it means to be a man for so many people, it's about trying to fill shoes that don't fit. And yet when you do, when you are authentic with yourself and you do have that ability to look at your behavior and say, you know what, I want to be, a, I want to be better with my son. I want to be better with my wife. I still want to be a man. I'm not trying to kick any of that out. Oh my God, think about who I become and how much how appealing that is. Beauty for Betsy and me, my wife, when I, when I use masculine energy to dress her down in the moment, I know that's going to serve her because I know it, it does do a reset for her. It's not that I'm, it's that I'm focused on her behavior instead of mine. And I, and sometimes you need a little fight. There's nothing wrong with that. So I think that from that standpoint, in terms of what it takes to be a real man, I think it just takes a a whole lot of awareness, which requires a whole lot of practice and trying to be in that centered and grounded place. Hey, I think that's a great answer. Yeah, I, when it comes to quiche, 
we could just call it egg pie. That's all it is. It's just egg pie. <laughs> men like eggs and men like pie. So we're all yeah, good. Yeah, come on. Throw some ketchup on it. It's all good. <laughs> now we're rocking. <laughs> Frank's hot sauce. So my next question is this. If you were to be able to run into the 10-year-old version of Chris Templeton, what do you want him to know? I was the last kid that got picked and that sort of thing and at recess or in PE and that sort of thing. And I always, that was not a huge deal. I didn't like it, but it didn't throw me. I never understood why the boys pulled the girl's hair and I just wanted to hold their hands. So I think what I would say is you were okay back then. It's okay to be who you are. It's okay to have feelings that are different than we think or we're told that they should be like it's okay to be yourself man and I don't think I tried very hard not to be myself but but knowing that having that it's okay to be you and not to have to try and conform to somebody else's definition of what you should be I think that would have been a nice thing to know yeah I had a similar experience growing up man so i definitely know what that was like yeah what would you have told your 10 year old self it's really funny i ask everybody that question everybody's asked never asked me back i would say it's going to be okay tell your parents what's going on Mm. i didn't trust them loved them they were great parents i didn't trust them to know that i was being bullied and picked on at school i didn't trust them enough to tell them i was left out that i didn't have any friends and so I wish I would tell myself, just trust them. Just go ahead and tell them. And they'll listen. And they would have listened. But I didn't know it then. So that's what I would tell myself. Just (laughs) as a side note, think about how much that adversity has served you now. We have a hard wire, the protector. One of the things that it's absolutely against is any kind of adversity. That's its job, right? Mm. But when you look back... And this is a story that you can practice. Like, what's my story going to be about those times in a way that serves me? Look at who I am now. Look at who I've become. Look at what I'm trying to do in the world. And where you are sitting right there, right now, has, a big chunk of that has, to, has come from that adversity. And it's okay. It's not something we look for, not something we want, but that doesn't mean... It doesn't have value. Yeah. That is actually a common thread that I do get. A lot of people would say, I wouldn't tell my younger self anything because the hardships I've been through are what shaped me today. And then they, you press them, and then, yeah, there's always something that they wish they would have known. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. But, uh, but I, think it's a, I do think it's worth thinking about a lot. And, like, I, for me, I have had a lot of freedom in going back and forgiving those kids and those teachers that hurt me. That, that picked on me, that, that let me go through that. And I think in that act of forgiveness, that's made a big difference in me as well. So. And, and here's the thing from my, with my model. I recognize that my second and fourth grade teacher, who was a complete dick to me, ran into him 10 years ago. He oh, Chris, he just did not like me. And understanding that those people, when they're judging you, when they're criticizing you, that they are above the line mm-hmm. in Little Me Land, then I can appreciate, without condoning, 
that and then forgiveness comes so much more easily. I'm convinced that the key to forgiveness is appreciation, like being able to appreciate their what where they came from and why they behave the way they do. Oh, such a relief for me. Yeah, I actually just was talking to a friend the other day and he was talking about um the abuse he went through with an abusive alcoholic father and it was bad like some of the worst abuse i've ever heard about it's this guy's lucky to be alive considering what his parent put him through and i know his dad and i know his dad's story and i just said so what you went through was hell and it was wrong and i am not excusing it but have you ever thought about what he went through and recognizing that in his mind he thinks I'm doing better than I have. He wasn't ready to hear it yet. Yeah, he wasn't ready to hear it quite yet. (laughs) But it's that truth is that when you, it doesn't excuse the behavior, but that act of trying to be empathetic is, helps you to almost have permission. Once you can accept it, it almost gives you permission to be able to forgive them because you can understand where they're coming from. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when I have the value of the benefit of this model, knowing that little protector of that dad was just always in pain, treated like crap by his parents. Alcohol was a way to calm down that little protector. And the the thing that was such a drag was that violence ended up being part of the result of that addiction and that sort of thing. It doesn't excuse it. But boy, oh boy, as the child, when I take the time to let the air out of the balloon about that whole situation Mm -hmm. and look for the value in it. Think about it. Almost all meaning, a whole ton of meaning in our lives comes from things that happened above the line in Little Me Land that were awful, that were bad, and my ability to change my story, find the true value of it, not put lipstick on a pig, but find how it served me, like we were talking about the stuff you went through and I went through as kids, and how it's helped us to be here having this conversation. Does it mean that it was a good time? Nope. Was there value in it? You bet there was. You bet there was when I take the time to recognize that. And think about it. Most men don't want to do that. Oh, no, I don't want to look at that. Okay, dude, let me know how that works out for you, because it's not going to serve you in the long run. Yeah, we don't want to revisit the feelings that we had because they suck. We don't want to face the feelings we have now because they suck. And it just never gets better. So that's why it's important to be able to dig into that. But it does get better. When we start to look at it, one of the things that the protector does is paints the worst possible picture. And we do start to look at it. And we do start to look at it from a place of curiosity and not from fear and victimization. It doesn't make it okay But we get to be in a place where we feel so much freer of that stuff in the past. Excellent. So I know that you probably have, you've already given us a lot of really good advice, Chris. (laughs) And so if something overlaps, that's okay. But what would you say is your best advice for the men that are listening today? Make your life a practice. Make your life a practice. Be a better version of yourself. Feel free to make mistakes. Instead of beating yourself up, figure out what you can learn from them, how to frame them in a way, in a story that serves you, to me, is the most important thing. If my questions and model work for you, great. If they don't, go practice with some other model, some other. But practice, 
and understand that you can be a better version of yourself and you're always going to, as you said on your website, the journey's not going to ever end. But boy, oh boy, it can be a whole lot more meaningful, a whole lot more meaningful when I'm looking at my life as practice and how I can be better. Excellent. Chris, if the guys want to get in touch with you, get plugged in with the work that you're doing, what's the best way for that to happen? Ohthestorieswetell.com. There's my phone number and my contact information. I'm not a coach or anything like that, but I'm at this point, just really in the last nine months or so, I've been really pushing this out to the public. And so I'm always interested in having conversations with people. I will sell if somebody's got a, a wants to practice on some things that take more than say half an hour. I do sell time for consulting. It's not therapy. It's just how helping people to apply the model in a way that has meaning for them. But oh, the stories we tell.com. Also, I'm on Instagram at oh, the stories, Facebook at oh, the stories. And the other place to really look is to do a search for oh, the stories we tell on YouTube. And a little thought bubble with oh, the stories we tell will pop up. That's my channel. I'd love it if you guys would like it for me so that I can get the vanity URL. But there's lots of good stuff up there about. 14 pieces with a woman that I've <clears throat> worked with. We did a podcast together, and it's just outstanding content. So, Awesome. We'll make sure we link that in the show notes as well so our listeners can check that out and get plugged in with you. Thank you so much for being on today, man. I think it was a great conversation. I do too. Thanks. I appreciate it, Josh. Awesome. Okay, Chris, do you have another second, and maybe we can talk a little sure. more for some bonus content? Yeah, yeah. All right, awesome. Okay. We're just talking a couple minutes. Nothing real. I'm trying to think of what questions to ask or to kick it off anything in particular that you think would be a good direction to talk about maybe um, another little tool one of the things that i talk a lot about is is the example of the and it's happening everywhere is the example of people who are at airports and their flights get canceled and pissed and i talk a lot about understanding that that's that little aspect of, of ourselves that I call the protector and the protector marches up and what's the first thing the counter agent does is and they just let that person vent and you think about it it's that protector and I'm never going to fly this airline you ruined my vacation blah 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 and then all of a sudden they run out of things to say and oftentimes they'll get a little guilty smirk on their face oh my god did I just say all that and that is when the counter agent says, okay, let's see what we can do to help. And understanding that that part of us, I think for men especially, we have a tendency to engage that part of us in ways that <laughs> don't really serve us in the moment. Yeah, we can be defensive and we're looking for a fight. And that's, again, something that is not necessarily bad because sometimes there's a time and a place to protect but not at the counter at the airport. And so when we recognize that those kinds of situations are happening all the time, whether it's with my wife, my kids, my workmates, and I can be my own counter agent to that protector and say, okay, dude, yeah, I get where you're coming from, but this isn't making us feel very good, is it? Let's figure out what we can do to be curious, appreciate where we are, practice ourselves down below that line where we can be more effective with each of those different people in our lives. I think that the, and I think it, I'm sure women do it too, 
but I think it's more it's tougher with men but we have this we don't want to be wrong and when someone else says something that's wrong we almost feel this like innate need to correct it when yeah and, and, and that's the protector. I, in my model, I'm in Little Me Land. That's a protector. I'm, I need to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. When really the best value is when I can come below that line, hear what that has to, the protector has to say about it, and then get curious about, okay, but what is your perspective? What is it that you see that I'm not looking at? And always there's something there. Unless it's you're in the extreme right and extreme right, extreme left, when even people in the in, in the far reaches of Little Me Land, when they start to articulate their story, there's value there. And when I'm listening from below the line instead of trying to prove that I'm right above the line in Little Me Land, it's a whole different re- outcome. Actually makes me think, and I don't want to get too spiritual, but it makes me think about Jesus. People were always coming against him because they wanted to kill him. They hated him, and he would just ask them questions. And then they would just reveal themselves. They would reveal exactly what they were thinking and what it was, and then a lot of times that would just solve the problem. And here's the thing. The reason that it worked for Jesus, take the divinity out of it for a second, is because he was asking from a place of curiosity, from a centered and grounded place, you could not have that happen. And that's what I was saying. Think about this from a leadership perspective. If I'm good at asking questions and really understanding why I have an employee that's pissed off about something or somebody else who's frustrated with what's going on work-wise, and I'm always below that line, over time, they realize that it's safe. This is the true definition of a safe space, is that I'm able to have feedback and give feedback in a way that's not judgmental or all those things and people are like think about all the things we complain about in management all above the line and when i behave the way that jesus did in terms of being curious and asking questions and not being judgmental understanding that they've got that little protector that's running full speed and that they care like when i address that from below the line from an authentic place Oh, we are so good at making our lives so difficult because we stay in little me land and we're judging and want to be right all the time and it does not serve us. Eventually it will if we get to clean up our act and change our stories, but yeah. I saw a video the other day of a guy. It was that guy. The It was a flight counter. And this guy gets up in his face and he does his best to keep his cool. Then he loses it. He comes out from behind the counter and then they get in a fight. And the, the patron, the angry patron, ended up just clocking him, and he was bleeding all over the place. He lost. It didn't work that well. It didn't work out that well. <laughs> it's hard to do. I can't imagine being those counter agents. I, can you imagine all the crap that they put up with all day long? And if you are living in Little Me Land all the time, man, talk about stress and how that's going to... Uh, but if you have... That's why I love this model so much is because I get to see... I have a frame of reference to say, oh, that person is up in the negative little me land. I understand that his protector is just screaming in his ear and that what I got to do is figure out a way to get that air out of the balloon so that I can have a reasonable conversation with him. And when, if I can even get him below the line, which I'm sure most of these people do, 
where he's apologizing to me for being a jerk and that sort of thing and thanking me for the effort that I've made to get him on a flight that's going to... It's a much better place to be, Josh. Maybe we should have those entry-level customer service people teach the rest of us how to interact with people. Absolutely. My wife and I both have backgrounds in in hospitality. And Mm -hmm. boy, I wanted my kids to have some kind of a front-facing job, whether they stayed there or not. My boy worked in a very high-end restaurant and had to put up with patrons that would come in that were reasonable expectations. You don't know, don't you know who I am, that kind of stuff, and figured out how to handle it. And he'd come home pissed, but by the time that we finished chatting about it, he was making jokes about it. And yeah, you're right on the money. We, everybody needs a little customer service. Yeah, I love it. I appreciate you having this little extra conversation with me, Chris. If our listeners want to plug in with what you're doing, where do they go again? Oh, the stories we tell.com is my website. Lots of good content there about the model and understanding it. Search for Oh, the stories we tell on YouTube, a little thought bubble, blue thought bubble with rust colored writing. Oh, the stories we tell will appear. Click on that. Please do us the favor and click on subscribe so that I can get to saying, Oh, just check us out on Oh, the stories we tell forward slash YouTube. Oh, the stories we tell. All right, we'll do that. We'll subscribe to it, and we'll make sure to link it. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Josh. Thanks so much. Yeah. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. It's excellent, excellent information. Guys, if you check out the show notes, you will see the links to uh, the stuff that Chris is doing, and you can get plugged in with it. Uh, Again, guys, we're trying to double our impact before we hit our uh, 10-year anniversary. So please, if you got something out of this interview, please share it with a friend. If you see one of our social posts or, uh, or something of that nature, please share it on your profile, like it, leave a comment because that tells big tech's algorithms that what we're doing is valuable so that more people will see it. So let's make it happen. Let's spread the word. Don't forget guys, you can join the manlyhood man cave, which is our private Facebook group for men that will help you level up because you've got men that are building each other up, that have your back. So that's if you go on Facebook and you type in Manlyhood Man Cave and then send a join request. And if you're a man, there'll be a couple questions for you to answer. If you're a man, we'll let you in that group. All right, guys. I appreciate you taking the time to listen today. I love you. I care about you. And I'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. Men, you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast. Cast.